0: Handling, Crier. jumper fall, but the flush from Tumbler. Oh my goodness.
1: We're back with Trista, Ryan, and Nick on BetMGM tonight on the BetQL Network, presented by BetMGM.
0: You know, they say good teams win, but great teams cover. Doesn't always happen that way, Trista. It's true, not Doesn't, for <laughs> not for way. my
1: team. The Houston Cougars. What a bad bet! PJ told me to stay away from it, and I was like, "But I get a boost."
0: But I get a boost. <laughs> you did mention that last night. You're like, "This is what's going to sucker me in." Is boost specifically for a game? It works. It they closed gotcha. at four and a half, they, right? They,
1: yeah. It closed oh. at five. Five? Okay. Yeah. Brutal. Yeah, I I thought I was getting the best of the number because it went from six to five, and then uh and then no, I did not. It, it went to die. I thought we would win in overtime team was up by... Never mind. Nobody cares. It was just...
0: (laughs) Uh, Real quick, because we didn't before we get to Jim. We didn't get to it last segment with all the the Ben Johnson news. Anything you guys want to give out, NBA or otherwise still?
1: Yeah, really quick, about eight minutes from now, Knicks. Me and Ryan, I think, have a good old-fashioned show Mm -hmm. bet. We had that last night. Yeah, Knicks minus four and a half uh, against the Utah Jazz. Utah came out flat against the Nets. Colin Sexton was terrible. Keontae George was pretty good scoring wise, but he was a negative twenty six. Both teams are on back to backs. The Knicks are at the crib. MSG is a tough place to play. Thirteen and two against the spread. The Knicks are with OG and Anobi, and they're thirteen and two straight up. So obviously, this will be the game that the Utah Jazz snap it against the spread streak. So I took the Knicks at home, but I'm I'm a little bit worried about it.
2: Yeah, that's not my favorite
0: one. I like Boston quite a bit, actually, tonight. Even at 7, 7.5 against Indiana, they're at home in this game. Second night of a back-to-back for them. No Matherin, though, for the uh, Pacers. <coughs> Everybody's going for Boston except for Al Horford, which is fine with me. So I took the Celtics tonight. And that's all I got in the NBA. Yeah, a couple of props for me I'll just throw out there. Jalen Brunson over 7.5 assists. The Jazz allowed double-digit assists to opposing point guards. It's a great opportunity for any point guard that's out there against Utah. I think that number's gone up a little bit, though, so try and find a 7.5 if you can. Also, Josh Hart taking advantage of Julius Randle not playing. Uh, 12 points – or, sorry, 12 rebounds and seven. yeah, 12 and 7. Uh, so I took the over 12.5 – uh, points and rebounds for him. There you go. If I could spit it out, that would be great. Uh, but it's but Tuesday, you, go. you know? It is. Well, I'm distracted you know because Ben Johnson is, is... I just... Suck. Yeah, I, I just saw another thing on Twitter about how he literally let the team know. He let the team know that... uh Yeah, in flight. I, I just... I saw that and went, oh my God. Like, it just... So he's on the list. You can't guys. mourn what you never had. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Like guys, that. I will move on. I'm a professional. Luckily, our buddy Jim Root jumps on with us now. Three-man weave. Uh, we mentioned that Houston game a little bit, Jim. Uh, did you learn anything new about that Houston team at all after what we saw last night? Or did you kind of just reaffirm what Houston already is, especially with Kelvin Sampson saying after the game that like they're not trying to be the prettiest team? All right, we may have to hold off here. Really Don't quick. hear Jim, but we'll uh, do what Since we can. Since Jim's
1: not here, I'll give out one more I'm sure he's fault. there. My Let's fault. be
2: honest. We know he's <laughs> <it's so far. laughs> I'm here. Go, yeah. Trista.
1: Real quick. Go, go, go. <laughs> like, jump into the double dutch. Go, we got Trista. Play.
2: Go, Trista. Time, time to let the conversation continue. <laughs>
1: All right, so here's an interesting bet that I spent some time thinking about. Uh, Atlanta plays the Lakers, and... It, you might think that Atlanta's the wrong side because they are the worst team in the NBA against the spread, eleven and thirty-five, literally dead last. Yeah. Anthony Davis is out though. LeBron James is questionable. He might not go either. Let's do it. But the Lakers are one and six against the spread without rest. Atlanta is four and one against the spread with the rest advantage. So I took Atlanta on the money line and I took Atlanta minus six. I yeah. don't know where where the line ended up. I know it was five and then six, but that's what I got.
0: All right. It sounds like we've got Jim now, which too. is good. Flying blind with no monitor working here. But we need that monitor. It is important in case anybody questions that. All right, Jim, let's try this again, buddy. Uh, did Houston's win over Texas tell you anything new about what they are? Or did it just kind of reaffirm the team that they are? Especially with Kelvin Sampson saying after the game, like, they're not trying to be the prettiest team either, which we kind of already knew, I guess.
2: Yeah, that's on me. Apologies. You're just saying you were a professional and I go and mute my own microphone. So that, that's on me. I apologize. Uh, no, I, I, I think I learned a little bit. You know, I thought this team was awesome and, and going to be resilient as a, a Big 12 title threat. What really like kind of intrigued me was they got down 54-48 in that game. And it seemed like Texas had sort of taken control in the second half. They figured out this Houston defense. And immediately the Cougars answered with three straight threes. Jamal Shedd hit two tough ones and they got one from Sharp to take the lead, forced a timeout from Texas. It was just kind of like, all right, we we know Calvin Sampson teams are tough as nails, but this one might have a little bit of uh, offensive firepower, at least shot making in big time situations enough to get them over the line late. And then in overtime, uh, Javier Francis filed out the, the starting center, big time, like seven, five wingspan. Okay, he's gone. We bring in another guy with a 7'5 wingspan, Jojo Tuggle, the freshman. He has a monster putback dunk to take the lead. He has a big-time defensive rebound on a missed free throw. It just shows that these guys, you know, they they may not be super deep, but I think that top seven, top eight is really, really good. And, again, the resilience on the road in a tough Big 12 environment it showed me a lot for them.
1: I would be remiss to not bring this team up again because I continued to bring them up since the very very beginning, Jim. Uh, I actually actually took Xavier against the spread stupidly, plus twelve, just the other day on Sunday. Felt like UConn was the right side, but every single sports book was promoting UConn minus eleven, minus twelve, and I said surely they can't be making me money. I have to take the other side. They're just a wagon, ninety nine to fifty six to Xavier, a team that usually keeps things pretty close. They're blowing out non-con, but they're also blowing out conference rivals as well. I took them eleven to one uh to win the whole thing. I think I gave it out to you at 20 to 1. This is the best team in the country, are they not?
2: Yeah, I I think there's still like a regular season argument to be made for Purdue, but given what we see in the postseason, what they did and what UConn did last year, I have no qualms with anyone making the UConn's the best team in the country argument. And really last year they covered every game in the non-conference this year, they're doing that in league play, like you said. They they had some stumbles in Big East last year. Uh, teams kind of figured out, or at least temporarily figured out, how to make Andre Jackson a score and it, it kind of busted up the UConn offense. They have no such weakness this year. Uh, even in league play, Tristan Newton's not really making shots. I think he's shooting sub-40%, sub-30% sub from three. And it just doesn't matter. Like, Caravan's automatic from deep. Spencer is one of the toughest competitors and a phenomenal shot maker. you got Klingon back in there. I think Jeff Borzello tweeted the stat that they gave up 0. 0.34 points per possession against Xavier when Klingen was on the court. Wow. He's just ridiculous as a rim protector. He's mobile. He had a three against Xavier. That's like the you know, happy learned how to putt moment for Klingen. UConn is outstanding. I, I think I'm with you. I fully surrendered. They're probably the number one team. What are your thoughts on Wisconsin
0: right now? Uh, I think this is their highest ranking since 2020. They're number six. They beat Michigan State, had a couple nice wins. Uh, What do you think their ceiling is so far uh, this season?
2: It's certainly higher than I thought at the beginning of the year. Uh, I I thought they'd be carried by defense and continuity from last year. And and it hasn't been the case. Their their offense is better than their defense from an efficiency standpoint. A.J. Storr has come in and immediately become an all-conference caliber player and a lethal wing score, something this team didn't have last year. And the, the guy I did not see coming at all was John Blackwell, the freshman. He's been terrific, giving them another uh, secondary score. Chucky Hepburn has kind of comfortably faded back into being a distributor and a setup guy, which I think, you know, sets up better for his game and fits their offense better. And you say all that, and they also are still very sound defensively. Greg Guard's a terrific coach on that end. So more and more, uh, I am fearing for my Purdue to win the Big Ten uh, bets, even though they are still a heavy favorite at BetMGM. I just think Wisconsin, with three road wins under their belt already, and, and they don't seem to have like the letdown effort type of games, uh, although I, I, I think Nebraska is going to get them this weekend, uh, I've just been more and more impressed by Wisconsin as the season go- has gone on. And I think they're a real threat in the postseason because the offense is legit.
0: You know, Jim, since everybody's asking about team ceilings, I'm gonna throw one out for you too. Dukes three and one in their last four games. These games have kind of felt like struggles, grinded out. Like it hasn't felt like they've been, you know, the Dukes type type of teams that we've seen in the past. So I'll throw out another ceiling question for you. What's the ceiling for the Blue Devils this year?
2: Well, this is my preseason team, so I'm I'm hoping it's a preseason number one team, excuse me. I'm hoping the ceiling is still mega high. Um I think, given what we've seen from Proctor over the last few games, they're maybe starting to access it. Uh, and I, I think that was always you know, going to take a little bit of time. He wasn't going to be the immediate All-American that, that some people thought coming into the year. Uh, I will confess I took them 15-1 to in the offseason last year. I added a little bit at 28-1 to recently. Just It was too good of a price for me. I still think Filipowski is a top-five player in the country, really tough to stop with his inside-out game. Their freshman wings are starting to come along. Jared McCain seems to be making everything in ACC play. And again, if Proctor starts to be a little more aggressive, maybe get some confidence from that, uh, you know, game-winning free throws against Clemson at home. He had a couple of big buckets down the stretch yesterday against Virginia Tech to seal it. That team starts to look really really good uh, because they defend under Shire and now the offensive pecking order is starting to figure itself out. I think their worst efforts recently have been shorthanded when, when Mitchell was out or Roach was out or back when Proctor sprained his ankle right away against Georgia Tech and missed the game. Uh, full strength, the ceiling still remains really really high for Duke.
1: You mentioned Kyle Filipowski. He's the only underclassman on the late season top 20 list for the Wooden Award. Do you think that means that the upperclassmen are just stacked or that there's not a lot of impactful freshmen and sophomore sophomores in, in college basketball right now?
2: I'd say both, definitely. Um, there's a lot of upperclassmen back that wouldn't have come back in the past because of NIL money and uh, the NBA just not really valuing a Zach Eadie or Hunter Dickinson, You know, some of these bigs that maybe can't defend the way that you need to uh, in the professional level. And I also, I don't think this freshman class is all that good. Um, I think that was sort of the sentiment coming in. And then you had a guy like Ron Holland go to the G League. He was, you know, maybe one of the best three or four recruits in the country. And it's just, you know, Collier, of course, has been hurt at USC, a potential top three pick. It Between this class being a little bit down and, and some of the key guys not even being in college and contributing right now, it does make sense, I think, uh, that the upperclassmen have carried the way in terms of. The best players in college basketball this season we got a bunch of games already underway right now anything that you like that's coming up still uh on tap tonight yeah i'm a, I'm a big clemson fan tonight i know they they dropped that tough one uh and on the road at duke and they're kind of been reeling but i think it's a perfect get right home game when you got louisville coming to town who has been just kind of a, a joke of a program over the last two years apologies to cardinals fans but Clemson, I think they know they need to get right here. They haven't shot the ball all that well in league play. This feels like the true get right type of game, laying 15 and a half, 16. Uh, I'm I'm comfortable doing that with Clemson against Louisville, given the spot coming off that tough loss and needing a bounce back. And uh, again, the opponent just not really being able to measure up to a team of this quality.
0: We probably won't see the same uh, three-point shooting Iowa State had against Kansas necessarily, but can they at least ride that momentum? You think with the way they've been playing into Baylor this weekend to get a win there?
2: Yeah, I I, just, I I tend to go towards Iowa State at home. I think people made a you know a, a big deal of it before the Kansas game, inappropriately so that they were like eleven and one against the spread uh, at home in Ames. I know Kansas might have backdoored some people with a late three there and uh, probably burned some tickets, but. Uh, I think Baylor back home there. Iowa State headed on the road. I would go towards the Bears. I know they had that a three OT crusher over the weekend, uh, and people were fading TCU because of that tonight. I think fading people off of three overtimes makes a lot of sense. Uh, but I, I, I would go towards uh, Baylor. It just Iowa State on the road, not the same kind of team. How concerning
0: is it to you uh, just looking at Kansas' defense since they got in a league play? Because that's 26 threes they've given up now to West Virginia and then Iowa State, too.
2: Yeah, it's it's a problem. And it, you know, I don't think anybody thought it was going to be coming into the year because DeWan Harris, K.J. Adams, and Kevin McCuller are all, like, top five defenders at their positions, I think, uh, in terms of ball pressure and switchability for McCullough and Adams, just intelligence but they're playing with Hunter Dickinson and teams are just putting him in endless streams of ball screens, making him defend in space, forcing Kansas into rotations. And now, of course, they got a little bit of bad luck with how hot Iowa State and West Virginia were, but I think part of that is the quality of shots that teams are getting against Kansas and they can't not play Dickinson because they only really have five good players right now. And one of them is him and one of them is Furphy, a freshman that I don't think has given them a lot defensively either. So it's a, it's a conundrum. Bill Self doesn't have a lot of lineups that are good on both ends of the floor right now. They've played, I think, the other than Iowa State, the three bottom teams in the league on the road, Oklahoma State, UCF, West Virginia, and they went one and two in those games, now one and three on the road when you add Iowa State. They've got some real issues to sort out that I don't even think were the issues everybody was concerned about, like the depth, the, the perimeter shooting. It's defense for them that's really turning up to be a, a sore spot and an Achilles heel.
1: Hey, we got about 30 seconds. I'm watching South Carolina compete with Tennessee. Like, they're all, they're 53rd in Ken Palm. You think South Carolina can make a little run?
2: Yeah, I do. I, I think they're set up, uh, they're tough to defend because they can invert the floor. B.J. Max like a stretch five. He came in from Wofford and 6'8", 270 pounds really makes it tough to figure them out. Uh, and their guards have been a lot better than I anticipated. Michi Johnson's a star. It'd be a heck of a win if they get one in Knoxville tonight. Jim Root, three-man weave, field of 68. Great to talk to you again, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys.
0: 33 all, South Carolina and Tennessee in the second half here. Man. Ooh, it's fun. I know. They're 14-point dogs. I, this, you know what? College basketball, it's like the NBA but on steroids. It's the Tonight.